Peace to you. Welcome to The Naked Truth. We are in the book of 1 Kings. We made it to chapter 9. You want to read along with me? Let's begin at verse 1. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do. So this is King Solomon, King David's son, who's ascended to the throne now. He's the king. And um, he's done the construction of the temple, the first temple. Um, and the other buildings he wanted to build for his um, his regime. Um, verse 2, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. So um, now it's saying that the Lord, and Lord here is being, the English word Lord is being translated from the Hebrew word or name Jehovah. Again, in this chapter, in this part of the chapter anyway, and like we've read before, that's not always the case, but that's the case here. Um, and that's who it's saying uh, is having, who's made an appearance to Solomon. Um, and like we've read before, that contradicts what the New Testament says about anyone seeing God and talking with God. Um, that that's not something that's happened ever, according to the New Testament. But it's here in the old, so that's why we're reading it. Um, and as always, it's an article of faith, so believe what you want. And um, But here, it's saying that he's getting a visit again from the Lord. Uh, verse 3. So he's already had one. Now he's getting another one. Verse 3. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and your supplication that you've made before me. I've consecrated this house which you've built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So that verse is kind of tricky. Um, we'll just say it's the Lord talking since that's how it reads. Um, whether you believe, whether I believe that's the actual God Almighty or not, it's how it reads, so that's how we read it. Personally, I don't believe it is, but again, it's how it reads, so that's how we're reading it. Now, so the Lord is telling Solomon, depending on how you read it and the punctuation of that um, statement, that um the Lord has heard Solomon's prayer, which we read in the previous chapter, about people being able to pray toward the temple and God hearing it in heaven and answering it basically in an affirmative way. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what was said about the consecration and dedication of the temple after Solomon built it in the previous chapter. But what the Lord is saying there about have built to put my name there forever. So Maybe the Lord is just sort of quoting what Solomon said about the Lord's name being there forever. But it certainly can't mean that the Lord is saying, I'm going to put my name there forever since that temple was destroyed. And if you believe that is God Almighty, then why would God Almighty say, make a statement um, and not allow and not and then the statement not stand? It wouldn't make sense for the Lord to say forever and it just be temporary. And yet that's what we just read. Uh, that is forever, and yet that temple was destroyed, and another was built in its place, and then that temple was also destroyed. And to this day, no new temple has been built since then. So where is the Lord's, what building is the Lord's name on now, and are the Lord's eyes and heart not on that place anymore? But it's the part that's the one word that saves that verse is perpetually at the very end of that verse. That means not quite forever. That means forever, sort of with an asterisk. Uh, forever, if a contingency, sort of. So it's not as solid as it might seem. Um, a forever 
might mean. But um, let's keep reading. Verse 4. Now, if you walk before, here's the contingency. Verse 4. Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments. So uh, introducing the ifs, the part that makes it, okay, well, it says forever, but the Lord put the ifs in there, meaning if the people don't meet those um, those terms of the contract, then it sort of breaks the contract because the people didn't remain faithful to the statutes, ordinances, or even the Lord. And we've read already in previous books and chapters um, how the people worshiped lots of different entities and called them their Lord, called them their God, made offerings to them, prayers to them, all sorts of things dedicated to all sorts of different entities that the people all identified as their Lord or their God, and the English word Lord and God, but almost certainly not God Almighty since there were many different names by many different people. But again, believe what you want. But the contingency there of the if the people are faithful, basically, is sort of the out, which allows it to not be, uh, which allows the change. You can just put the fact that the Lord isn't still dedicated to that house and temple because the people aren't faithful. Um, but let's keep reading. Let's see. Um, verse five, then. I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So the promise, as it says, was made to King David when he was the king, or probably just before he came king, if I remember right. But he was made, he was given that promise that um, the an enduring kingdom with um, uh, one of his descendants always sitting on the throne, um, if they were faithful if they kept these different parts of the contract. And now it's being sort of um, reintroduced to Solomon that um, he can get the same promise if he's faithful to those statutes and ordinances and that he'll always have someone on the throne of Israel. But like I said, um, they, the temple was destroyed twice and now there is no king there. They have presidents or prime ministers and such um, and they seem anything but faithful they seem almost exactly like the uh, too much like the American system of corruption and um, and just outright corruption and the religious stuff kind of pushed to the side but let's keep reading verse 6 but if you or your and I don't mean that entirely just some of the leadership the leadership is being former leadership is being investigated Sort of like America. That's what made me think it's just like America. Verse 6, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. So now, again, the contingency. You get the promise um, that it'll be forever, uh, but it comes with conditions if the people are faithful. And now it, um, it's being spelled out clearly that the... Um, Faithfulness has to be, um, that's what has to be forever, and uh, not turning aside to worship other entities, other gods, which again, people have already been doing again and again and again. Uh, verse 7, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I've given you and this house, which I've consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight, 
Israel be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. So there's the escape clause that if the people turn out to be unfaithful, the descendants of Solomon, or even Solomon himself, then the contract is broken and the people are going to be given up to hard times. Verse, which again, this kind of reads retro, like someone is uh, written it retrospectively, sort of justifying the loss of the first temple, the loss of the second temple, the exiles and um, losses and wars that the people experienced. It seems to me someone probably looked back with 2020 hindsight and is uh, editing how the story went and attributing those losses to the fact that the people weren't faithful. Um, whether that was the case or not, it seems to me that's how it's reading. Uh, but let's keep reading. Um, verse 8, and as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? So um, Solomon is being told, if the people aren't faithful, then strangers, passersby, will notice the destruction of the temple and the, um, the troubles that the people fall into and ask questions and scratch their head and wonder, well, what went wrong? Because we know the Lord delivered them from enslavement in Africa and through all those wonders and signs and brought them to Canaan, Palestine, Israel, that same area. So what could have possibly happened? Why would the Lord turn on the people? Why has the Lord done that to them? Verse 9, then they will answer because they forsook the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought, therefore, the Lord has all calamity on them. So um, Solomon is being warned that when people start wondering, well, what happened? Where did y'all go wrong? How come the Lord seems to have abandoned you? And the answer that people will get will be because they abandoned the Lord, because they weren't faithful to the Lord. The Lord hasn't been faithful to them and has allowed them to be captured and conquered and defeated in different wars and efforts that they could put forth. Verse 10. Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. So now time has gone by, two decades, and Solomon has completed more construction. That other verse sort of ended um, kind of abruptly, but it's moving on. Verse um, 11, Haran, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired, that King Solomon then gave Haram 20 cities in the land of Gilead, of Galilee, excuse me. So um, in exchange for supplying all the construction materials and precious metals um, to Solomon to build the temple and the other buildings, uh, Solomon has given Haram, the king of another nation, Tyre, it's still the same Tyre in modern times, um, um, cities in the so-called Holy Land to possess as his own. Which makes me wonder about the different territorial disputes in modern times if some of those same areas trace back to areas that were given up by Solomon or given up through different wars and defeats in war. They almost certainly were. Verse 12, Then Haram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. 
So Haram made the deal with Solomon. Now he's going to see what kind of cities he got for the deal he made. Uh, but he's not pleased with the deal. Not pleased with the cities he got in the deal. Verse 13. So he said, what kind of cities are these which you've given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, as they are to this day. So there is an area called Kabul in Afghanistan. But um, this is a different Kabul. This is a Kabul that translates to the word to good for nothing in English. But that's the, what he's what um, Haram is saying about the cities that Solomon gave him in the deal that they made. So he's not pleased at all. Verse 14, and Haram sent the king 120 talents of gold. So maybe he was just being sassy because he still upheld his part of the bargain, it seems, in sending uh, heavy weights of gold to Solomon for the construction he requested or that they'd agreed upon. Verse 15, and this is the reason for the labor force which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Excuse me, the Milo is also um, translates to the landfill. Um, so that's one of the other, these are the different areas um, that were part of the construction project, it seems, um, that Solomon undertook. Um, one other thing about the areas that he named, or that are named here, um, one of them stood out to me. Oh, uh, Megiddo. Megiddo is um, is the same city or word name of the area known as Armageddon, which um, you've probably heard of in other ways. That that's the same city and area being referred to there. It's just a different pronunciation of the same area, um, but it's still talking about Megiddo, Armageddon, same place, not the event Armageddon, place. I'm sorry, Megiddo. Verse 16, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire, had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city, and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So um, Pharaoh, um, the, the African king uh, in Egypt, also had dealings with Solomon. Remember, the people were in Africa uh, for 400 plus years. And for part of that time, they were there as uh, enslaved people. Um, and now another 400 plus years have passed to um, the time of Solomon. Um, and Solomon is married to one of Pharaoh's daughters. Um, Solomon has, or will have at some point, hundreds of wives according to the narrative film. Verse 17, and Solomon built Gezer, Lord Beth Horon, um, I'm just going to keep reading because there's more area names, Balak and Tadmor in the wilderness in the land of Judah. So that's verses 17 and 18 naming off the different areas that Solomon developed. Verse 19, all the stored cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry, <clears throat> excuse me, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. So Solomon took it on himself to um, build up different areas throughout the so-called promised land. Verse 20, and the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites, who were not of the children of Israel. So the different foreigners who, many of them lived there already 
uh, I think almost all of those different groups lived there already before the Israelites got there after they were enslaved and escaped, were emancipated from enslavement in Africa. After they left Egypt, some of these other people were already in the land, but they went into the land and colonized it. Verse 21, that is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these, Solomon raised for slavery, as it is to this day. So the people who were in the land before, before the Israelites got there, the Amorites and so forth, were, um, as we read, went through different wars and battles with the um, colonizers. And sometimes they won, sometimes they lost. And it seems these are their descendants that we just read about that weren't driven out of the land, but were still there among the Israelites. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, and they were forced in enslavement also, which again, doesn't read like something God Almighty would do. Rescue someone from enslavement, then tell them it's cool to take slaves and pass them down as property, and then uh, go to war against other people who attempt to do the same thing. It's, it's completely inconsistent. And when it's inconsistent, it seems to me that it can't possibly be from God Almighty. But that's just my opinion. Verse 22. But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers, because they were men of war, and his servants, his officers, his captains, his, his captains, commanders of his chariots, and his cavalry. So he enslaved the foreigner people, the people who they went in and took their land and colonized it, um, made enslaved people of them, but didn't enslave any of his own people. Um, again, doesn't sound consistent with righteous godliness to me, but it is how it reads. So, verse 23. Others were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work. 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. So, um, uh, of his own people, he made them captains, basically. Made them masters over the other people who were forced into uh, labor for the kingdom that conquered them. Verse 24, but Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the mill on So um, I believe the city of David is Jerusalem, uh, although I think Bethlehem is also considered the city of David, so maybe it's like a suburb. I'm not really sure. You'd have to look it up to see for yourself. Um, but Pharaoh's daughter, one of Solomon's wives, and again, it's one of his wives because contrary to the Bible thumpers of modern times saying marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman and they thump their Bible and say that it's according to the Bible, it's a lie. It's not according to the Bible. Solomon had many wives and wasn't condemned for it either. Um, so that's just religion. It's not, and again, religion is not the same thing as Christianity and the whole Bible is not Christianity, only a tithe, a tiny portion of it has anything Christian in in it solidly at all anywhere in letters um so anyway um more construction um done by solomon's regime verse 25 now three times a year solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he had built for the lord and he burned incense with them on the altar that was before the lord so he finished the temple so those three times a year just like we read previous previously uh, almost likely the same three times a year where um, the Solomon is um, 
is as it's being referred to here. Um, the different three times a year where every male is supposed to appear before the Lord. In other words, going to the temple those three times a year and making whatever required sacrifice the religion calls for. Um, a peace offering, burnt offering, so forth. And again, even though it says burnt offerings, it doesn't mean um, what's being offered is burnt to ashes. It, it reads more like a barbecue, whether it's cows, chickens, uh, rams, goats, whatever the case may be. They're not being burnt to a crisp. They're being barbecued and then shared uh, most um, specifically among the ruling class religious leaders but sometimes the common people would get some of it too. Uh, verse 26, King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geba, which is near Eli, Elah, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. So um, more construction that Solomon had done included a fleet of ships. And I'll notice where it's at. It's near the shore of the Red Sea, same Red Sea, um, Presumably that the people crossed over in previous generations when they escaped that enslavement in Africa and the seas parted for them according to the narrative. And one other thing is notice that it talks about the land of Edom. So some preachers in modern times will say Edom is the same thing because it translates to red. Um, it's referring to ancient Russia. That's, that's just a plain lie. It's not referring to Russia at all. Russia is far away in distance from the place where we are reading about right here. This is clearly adjacent to Africa, uh, Egypt, where the people um, were um, enslaved, the Red Sea. We just read it. Um, and it says right there, in the land of Edom, that that's where the land of Edom was, near the um, so-called Holy Land, not anywhere at all near uh, Russia, just because Russia has the, uh, is known as red Russia because of commun communism and whatnot. It's not Russia at all. That's just one more lie that preachers will tell you to keep you enthralled in their teaching and coming back to them looking for clarity because what you're actually doing is walking in confusion, following them. Verse 27, then Haran sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who knew the sea, to work with the servants of Solomon. So Haram is the same one who supplied all the building materials, the raw materials for the construction. He's also now sending servants to work alongside Solomon's servants when it comes to the um, seafaring things involved. Verse 28, and they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So um, uh, Haram is working fiercely and loyally to Solomon and even having the people mine or find gold, 420 talents of it, huge weights of gold, uh, but not keeping them for himself or his own kingdom, but instead surrendering them, surrendering them to King Solomon for, the, um, for his kingdom. And it is two different kingdoms, two different nations. Um, but it seems he's faithful to his agreement and in helping Solomon um, and his cause. That was the last verse in this chapter. That's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you, appreciate you, and I'll see you next time. Stay safe. Be spiritual.